Hello, Dreamer. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. I talked with Dr. Nicole Torres, who is a dream worker, a psychotherapist, and an anthropologist. I reached out to her because I had seen some things she wrote online connecting dream work with her commitment to culturally relevant counseling and liberation and decolonization and really wanted to learn more about how she relates to dreams and helps other people relate to their dreams. So we got to get into that. We talked a little bit about religion and dreams, a life-changing dream that Nicole had during the time she was working on her dissertation, dreams people have been having lately around our current social political issues, especially here in the U.S., and dreams as a way that we all can connect to what we're calling indigenous wisdom that we do all have inside of us. So I'm excited for you to listen to this. I hope you really enjoy it. And I'd love to hear from you afterwards what you think about it, any questions it brings up. If you haven't subscribed yet to the Dreamers Den podcast, please do. And the very most helpful thing you could do if you are enjoying this podcast is head over to Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, and leave a five-star rating. That will really help more dreamers find the show. All right, here we go. You're listening to the Dreamer's Den podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm here along with guest dream workers, authors, and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams. We're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us, what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams, in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org open for a free video and mini book I put together to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. My guest today is Dr. Nicole Torres. She is a medical anthropologist and a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with minority populations in urban and inner city environments. Her expertise includes providing holistic, creative, culturally relevant services for people from all backgrounds, especially minority and biracial individuals. She believes that effective therapy must be holistic and work towards liberation. While she's trained in evidence-based practices such as cognitive behavioral therapy, she also believes that alternative ways of approaching healing are essential to personal and psycho-spiritual development, especially when coupled with decolonizing methodologies. So I'm excited to dive into a lot of that with Nicole today. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you for coming and talking with me. Well, thanks for, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate your invitation to be here. I'd love to ask you first about dream work, how you got into dream work, how you first realized that dreams were important to you. I think the first time that I really got into dreams was actually when I was a kid. I remember having this really intense dream about running from one room to the next and what the house looked like and where and the kind of frantic pace that I was experiencing in the dream. So that dream stuck with me and I've always been curious about dreams since then. 
I also felt like a lot of dreams I had, especially when I was younger, when I look back on them, they were some kind of, they offered some kind of premonition, so to speak, as well. So that also intrigued me about doing dream work in the future. And did you have people to talk to about those early dreams? Did you do any, you know, what we would call dream work with those? Not at the time. You know, my family is very religious. And, uh, you know, at the same time, while some were open to it, it was one of those things in the household that really just wasn't talked about because of my, my, my family's religiosity. So I really started to tap into those things after I left home and I left home around 15 years old. So that was when things started breaking, breaking open for me. Mm -hmm. I want to maybe ask you about, I've heard people say this, my family's religious and they don't want to talk about dreams, but I've also, I know a number of religious people who do like to talk about their dreams. And of course there are stories of dreams in the Bible And I've never really gotten clear on what it is that makes, you know, some families say because of our religion, we don't want to talk about dreams. Can you shed any light on that? Yeah, I think that's actually a really great question. (laughs) And I, and I don't have a, a coherent answer for it, but what I can offer you is my perspective. Okay, great. You know, I think it just lies on a continuum of, uh, for me, it, it really just depends on on the the religion one, and also two, for lack of a better term, how strict or literal or I guess fundamental people are kind of really interpreting the religion. So, for example, and again, I, this is something that I haven't. You're asking a great question, and I haven't really put together a coherent thought around this, but. My family, particularly around this kind of work, it was very, they're very literalist, they're fundamentalists in, in many ways. And that was actually part of the reason why I started running away from home when I was early, went very, at an early age, just simply because I didn't have the space in my life at the time to really tap into the things that were really attractive to me. So that more mystical realm of religion was just not accessible to me. It was very patriarchal, uh, very hierarchical, and that kind of dream wisdom was just not part of the narrative and certainly wasn't part of I guess I would, you know, I guess on when I interpret it, wasn't part of the narrative of the religion itself. That was something that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And that kind of divine wisdom or mystical experience is mediated by the the church figures instead. So, yeah. so access to divine wisdom was mediated through the patriarchal structure. Uh, which are in this case were elders or you know the male figures of of the church so that i think that's my short answer and yeah yeah yeah, it's my short answer i think 
and I might speak to some people based on their experiences, but definitely for me, there was this piece around patriarchal structures and certain kinds of funda fundamentalism that were that were dominant threads in this particular religion. And I felt like in order for me to really understand what I was experiencing and what I wanted to do with my life in the future, that I had to leave home. And my mom was doing the best that she could at the time. She had me at a very early age and I, you know, we have a, I, you know, I feel we have a really solid relationship now, but, you know, religion and very kind of highly organized strict religions can also give people a sense of order and security. So I'm not here to knock that, but I also feel like it shuts off access to things that resonate with people like me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, the dream world is anything but orderly. So. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If someone's looking for order, then yeah, it wouldn't be so appealing. I wonder if some of what you're saying overlaps with these ideas around decolonization and liberation that I know really matter to your work with people. I was hoping to kind of go there and find out what that means for you in the context of dream work. Are we kind sure. of getting towards that with the, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's a, it's actually, I think there's a, a definite overlap and I, mm -hmm. I I'm glad that you picked up on that. I think um, for me, when I speak of decolonization, and that's also a word that seems to be thrown about quite a bit nowadays and also trivialized in many ways. I mean, in mm -hmm. academia, there's kind of like decolonize this, decolonize that, decolonize your syllabi, uh -huh. you know, decolonize your workspace, but <laughs> we're not really getting to what that actually means. Yeah. And, give us, give us the deeper meaning, <laughs> right? The deeper meaning. And for me, decolonization is really just this ongoing life work towards liberation, whatever that looks like for that person, you know, and so I tend towards talking about it now in, instead of just simply decolonization, more of a liberation discourse. And this is not something, this is not terminology that I came up with. This is actually the the language of two native psychiatrists and healers, Eduardo Duran and Louis Melmadrona. This is something that's part of their language. Like this is, we're helping people on their path towards liberation. Decolonization to me is specifically about identifying those spaces in myself and patterns of behavior and what I've internalized that prevent me from being authentic. It's a it's specifically an anti-imperialist stance that I try to talk about in my life freely and also walk in my life as well. So, so many of us who identify as you know people of color, BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color, we 
we live in a world that was meant to subjugate us in many ways. It was designed to do so. That's what colonialism is about. It's about empire. And I think that the work that we do, and specifically what I do in my practice, is related to what has empire created? You know, how what kind of people have we become as a result of being born into empire, being taught about empire, and just kind of the normalization of this kind of empire that we live in today, specifically this kind of Euro-American dominance, Western imperialism, you know, how people are dominated and subjugated within the quote unquote modern world. So my work is squarely situated in how to free ourselves from the structures that constantly wear us down, Mm -hmm. whether it be just kind of our work lives and how that colonizes our time, how we, Mm -hmm. you know, and I specifically use the word colonize, it colonizes our time, can colonize our minds, you know, in terms of technologies, I've talked to people who time and their time, their mind and bodies are colonized in very specific ways, like being addicted to the phone, addicted to video games, addicted to working, you know, not knowing how to live without the rigid structures required to live in this world specifically due to capitalist endeavors, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, it does make sense make sense and it's enormous. I mean, you're talking yeah. about like the the questioning, the questioning um of everything. You know, it all ties into this because we are living within this structure. I I wonder if you have any dream examples or imagery. Like I'm thinking about how dreams do such a good job of getting us to question things that we take for granted that, you know, often only if we really go into the dream and really let it prod us. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm listening to all your words and thinking about how, how many different things we could, could be an entry point into this, like the phone, you know? Um, and I've heard dream imagery of, Uh, my phone number was blocked or I tried to tap my phone and it wouldn't wake up. And just like that kind of thing comes to mind for me. Do you have any, do you have anything that comes to mind for you? It doesn't have to be related to the phone or technology, but just sort of that symbolic language people speak about this stuff. Right. Right. Well, I can give you one from my own life um, that okay, really great. that really kind of woke me up and shocked me. I was writing my this happened when I was writing my dissertation, so I was in the thick of it. You know, the I came back from field work. I'm an anthropologist by you know by training, and that's my primary training as an anthropologist. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this vivid dream where this older guy, a uh, native guy, you know, in, in 
he wasn't in, you know, that more stereotypical romantic regalia of uh-huh. of a tribal, you know, a tribal member, but it was more of he was just in work work a day clothes. And he was just standing over me in the dream staring at me and I was sitting at my desk writing in the dream and I just noticed that this figure was standing there staring at me. So I turned to him and asked him, you know, what's going on? What, what is it? That's my question. What, what in my, in the dream I asked, what is it? What do you, what's going on? And he looked at me and he said, well, when are you going to do your job? Mm. And I said, well, I'm doing it. I'm doing my job. I'm writing. I'm here writing. And he said, no, no. When are you going to do your real job? And that was the end of the dream. And I sat up in bed, woke up, you know, shout, you know, probably I remember like, you know, saying some profanity, like, this is not (laughs) what I want to hear. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, crap. Now what? And but that was that was the the beginning of a really long kind of torturous literally it was very a lot of self it required a lot of self-examination you know because i thought okay this is what i was really supposed to be doing i'm gonna you know i'm gonna do this work as an anthropologist i really like anthropology for all of its critiques and all of the very valid critiques but this is where I feel like my skill set really sits. And while that's still true, academia is not is not my life. That's not that's not where I feel at home. That's not where I feel like I can do my best work. It's really about this larger journey towards helping people heal in ways that lie outside of the normative practices of evidence-based medicine Mm -hmm. and that's helping people tap into their dreams helping people understand that you know their vision for themselves and their vision for the future is part of their healing process Mm -hmm. and that's part of the journey and that it's our birthright this is what we're all designed you know to we can we can have access to dreams. We can access them if we choose to. Having a daydream or having or envisioning a future for ourselves is part of our healing journey. So whether it be a sleeping dream or when we're more in, in a visionary state in our waking life. So I think that for me, that's one dream that really helped me de-link myself, unlink myself from a more fixed identity around academia, things Uh of that sort. So I'm just a much more flexible person simply because of that one dream. Wow. Yeah. I, in my imagined version of your dream, (laughs) he's, he's, uh, like you said, he's in workday clothes. Like he's not in this, um, regalia, romanticized kind of, um, old version. And, and that for me, that's kind of a flexibility there in, in my own imagination. Like if I, if I had been thinking before of imperialism and academia uh, and um, 
professional clothing, like as one alternative. And the other mm-hmm. is this guy in feathers and war paint or some old stereotypical image. Like there's those two poles, but yeah. here's this character who's just in, was, is he in like kind of regular American Western clothes? Yeah. He was just yeah. like, you know, jeans, yeah, hat, a shirt. <laughs> yeah. So there he is in jeans, like the farmer clothes that now we considered like normal clothes. And mm-hmm. um, so it's like, he doesn't look like what I thought he might've been supposed to look like. It's, it can be more in, integrated, I guess. This is me projecting on your dream, obviously, but just yeah. like, that it can come into my, um, my culture that I yeah. w- live in waking life. Yeah. And I, I had, I, I had a lot of, re- a lot of feelings about this dream. It was very, I was very conflicted about it. Um, simply because although, you know, my family is indigenous to elsewhere, I'm not, you know, I'm not native to North America. You know, my, my ancestry goes back to the Caribbean and Central America. So, so it was an interesting dream to have considering all of the contentious discussions around cultural appropriation, around power, around faking it and all of those things. And I felt really torn by having this dream. And in fact, I was, when I, when I woke up from the dream, you know, I absolutely wrote it down and, and I thought about it, but I was like, no, this is not who I want showing up in my dreams, <laughs> which, mm. is, which is, which is funny. This is now who I, this is, can you come to me in a different way? And what would have been, what did you, what, what did you want? Like what was wrong with him? I think what was wrong with him at that time was I just, it was, it dovetailed with a lot of things that was happening in grad school for me. There was a lot of talk about cultural appropriation, about, Mm. about stealing, you know, stealing identities and so forth. And that's never been part of my path. I'm just kind of who I am. I recognize myself as being of many threads of ancestry. And this is, this is a known quantity quantity for me but at the same time I wasn't really comfortable with the politics like how Mm -hmm. identity is politicized yeah in very specific ways and how identity is fixed for many people in different ways so it was kind of interesting for me for him to for this native elder to come with to come into my dream but also just be wearing street clothes Uh so that was a cool kind of reminder that those are rom- those imagined versions of native peoples of course are romanticized and at the same time people you know various figures show up in de- in our dreams for different reasons so for me it was a large healing journey around how i relate to native peoples outside of academia Mm -hmm. um, specifically because academia is a very rarefied institution where people tend to theorize a lot about things but not necessarily put 
put those good thoughts into practice or see how they unfold. So I found myself learning so much from that particular dream and how I rejected that dream. And he kept showing up over and over, but in different, in different manifestations. So in different clothing and different this and different that, and just kind of maybe even he was just walking through the Uh dream. So, Uh so this is something in my dreams that it's actually developed in a different way, which I think is, has been a wonderful teacher. The learning process was that figures show up because they need to, and Mm -hmm. that they're part of the teaching, the teaching journey. Like that's part of my learning, learning experience and part of my lifelong quest or journey to just understand how those things unfold and what I'm supposed to do with the energy of the dream and how to bring it into my waking life Mm -hmm. to honor, to honor the dream energy, so to speak. Yeah. So, so for people listening right now who are having characters come to mind, you know, the, the recurring people that can happen in, in all of our dreams um, and wondering how to do that. Do you have any ideas, ways that you've used or walked other people through? Like, how do you relate to these figures who keep showing up? Do you talk to them? Do you, do you, right. do you ever do the like write out a dialogue in your journal? What do you like I to do? Done- yeah, I haven't done the write out a dialogue in my journal, but I definitely have done dream incubation and asked, show me what I need to to learn, please. Like that's mm-hmm. part of it. Meditation, I definitely have, when I've been given things in dreams by these figures, I've definitely tried to either recreate them in waking life or draw pictures of them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and this has happened more than once, something from my dream world shows up three days later in waking life, Uh like some, like some kind of figure or something. So for example, and this is, this is going back to the idea of paying attention to synchronicity. So I remember one time, this is another set of figures that just, that sometimes show up in my dreams. I was given a necklace with a, with a blue stone and then three days later, I'm at a concert where they where they were handing out little pouches. And it turned out the pouches were, each pouch had a blue stone in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that was when I, re, when I noticed, when I remembered my dream and when I saw what I was given three days later, like I, that's part of that being able to honor the dream is being able to identify the things in waking life that match up to the dream world and actually honoring that energy. Yeah. And, you know, I put that pouch on my altar. I had, a, I have a, you know, an ongoing flame in one of my rooms and I had put that next to the altar as part of like showing gratitude for that energy being manifested in my waking life and also Mm -hmm. to honor the dream. So I'm doing my part in this co-creation of the unfolding of my future self, so to speak. 
Beautiful. I love that story. And I love that perspective. That's not, it's not about, you know, well, it's not always about what did this blue stone represent or what does it mean about this concert, but just that the dream brought up the blue stone and then waking life brought up the blue stone and drawing them together and feeling their connection and taking part in it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like we can, we can often get caught up in the, what does this mean? And we can go into intellectual, like hyper intellectualization about the meanings and the symbols, but those projections are useful up to a point, but really at the same time, part of understanding the meaning is allowing things to unfold sometimes without even under, without knowing the outcome, you know, that's Mm -hmm. part of, that's part of what makes life interesting. And I feel like that's also part of the fool's journey Mm -hmm. back to tarot for example, so allowing that journey to unfold and trusting that maybe we don't know now, but that's part of the learning process is essential. Right. Right. Because how many dreams, you know, if for people who track their dreams, is it a year later or five years later that you look back and realize, oh, that dream was about preparing me for this, you know, a year later or was a reflection of this already brewing in my life. I'm thinking of like some illness dreams, you know, hints that a diagnosis might come, but the diagnosis doesn't come for a while. And then looking back, there's like been this preparation or kind of setting the mind, the mind, body, heart up to take that journey. Right. Um, But you wouldn't have worked that out. It wouldn't, it's not something that would have necessarily lent itself to, interpretation, you know, and forecasting, I will get this diagnosis in a year, but it uh, was beginning that conversation, I guess. Right. And that's what we need. We need, I, for me, I feel that dreams help me understand that, that there are these possibilities out there. You know, there's all these different possibilities. This is one possibility. And we're reminding you that you need to pay attention to this possibility. Like this is some, this is a really good learning experience. You, this is part of what, you know, if you want to talk about, I don't know where your, um, your listeners, where they lie in terms of this, but it's also our job to participate in co-creating the dream of the world that we want to live in. So, so part of honoring the dream, and if we already believe that dreams are always come to us in the service of health and wholeness, that's Jeremy Taylor's language, then we need to honor these dreams so we can envision a better future for ourselves, for our loved ones, and for future generations, and for the planet. Because for me, that's, that's the big dream, you know, like, really, what can we, what can we do to serve future generations? And that's part of honoring the indigenous wisdom that resides in all of us, because I, I subscribe to the 
to the idea that dreams are part of our indigenous wisdom that we've cut ourselves off from mm-hmm. through practices of colonization, through you know, Christian missionizing work. Those are the ways in which we can often cut ourselves off from our the wisdom that lies in our bodies. So, mm-hmm. yes, a hundred percent. We're definitely on the same page about that. I. I cherish dreams for that bigger picture. I mean, I think if we take the definition of indigenous to be something like of the place, you Mm -hmm. know, really uh, in deep relationship with the place, maybe we could look at ourselves as all indigenous to this earth and all of its living, breathing ways. And um, I don't know if that's what you think of when you think of dreams as our indigenous wisdom, but that's kind of where I go, that we're, we are all interconnected and we're all hearing and feeling the places where we are. If we choose to listen, we'll hear a lot more. But um, what, yeah, do you want to say a little bit more about what that means to you, that we, that we all have some kind of indigenous wisdom? Yeah, I think you, I think you said it, you know, that's where exactly where I was going. Uh, we, that wisdom lies in our bodies. It's our ancestral wisdom, you know, we, if you, if any of your, if you or any of your listeners have ever done like ancestry.com or looked at their kind of genetic history, so to speak, mm-hmm. it's really interesting just to see for me, like the, that those histories of colonization, those histories of travel, of migration, and how those stories actually are are part of our genetic journey as well yeah and that for me is also linking my dreams to really how i understand my my experience in the united states as a person who has who was born in the united states how that relates to my my family and how it relates to their colonial past as well. Dreams have been absolutely healing for me Mm. just simply by the advice I've been given in dreams, how I try to honor those dreams in my, at that particular point in time and how I relate to that information and for future generations. Like that's essential to kind of how I, frame my private practice work, how I work with students and just navigate my world. And do you find that in your private practice, I know one of the phrases you used is, you know, culturally relevant services. So you have people from all different cultural backgrounds, sometimes multicultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I mean, is this something you find people pretty receptive to? Do you, do you get different perspectives on this whole idea? I guess we were talking about this with religion earlier, but yeah. How do, how do you approach dreams in the, in that culturally relevant way? Right. So it's, I haven't had a negative experience yet. Uh-huh. Um, so it's yeah. working. <laughs> yep. That's, I think that's the best way to, for me to describe it. It, it, 
it does work. People absolutely are curious about their dreams. Some people are scared of their dreams because I think for those who have had dreams that feel like they've been warnings or premonitions, they don't know how to respond to those dreams. Yeah. And, and that's why I also like one of the phrases from Robert Moss's work of, when doing the lightning dream work exercise, what of this? What what part of this dream? And I'm paraphrase, paraphrasing um, connects to the past, the present, or a possible future. So mm-hmm. it's so helping people understand that dreams live in the quantum world, so to speak. Like the present, the past, and the possible future; those are all ways in which dream energy and its teachings, you know, exist outside of space and time, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So that's been really helpful for people to connect with. And we do a lot of free association. Mm -hmm. I offer some projections later, and I do use the word projection and explain to them that literally it's, I am projecting my, I am extending, you know, I'm offering these these as my own understandings of the dream but my understanding should not overpower what resonates for the dreamer yeah i feel like i i'm answering some a lot of your question but not all of it so can we well, go back to the question yeah <laughs> no i think you are i mean it's i guess i was wondering is there a way that you need to that you personally approach dream work differently in order to make sure you're respecting and making room for everybody's different perspective, their background, their culture, whatever it might be. Right. Like I do think it's really important to say like you, these are my projections, especially when someone's coming to us for help because there's that power dynamic and they might think, oh, you're the expert. So you're going to tell me mm-hmm. what this means, but you know, we're really not. Um, they still have to be the one to feel the resonance or not. So yeah, I mean, you definitely spoke to that. Is, is there anything you would say about things you do need to be maybe more aware of or keep in mind, I guess, if you're working with people who have a really different background from your own? Right. I, I, well, I feel like some of this goes back to kind of really thinking about where dreams lie, right? We, I feel that dreams lie in the realm of the personal, in the collective, and and in both. So for example, when I think of that dream I had about the blue ball, you know, the mm-hmm. little blue stone, so to speak, that I that I was given in my dream. And then I was given three days later a blue stone that yeah. was shocking at the time, but for me, really connected to that dream. Yes, it means that, yes, that that is connected to the dream, absolutely. But also, what is that blue ball representing for me at this given time? What does it, what does it conjure for me in terms of my feelings? I, I think about all kinds of things, you know, like the water is life, water is life. So that uh-huh. indigenous fight for, you know, protecting water rights. Um, It reminds me, 
if you want to talk about chakras, it reminds me of like, you know, using our voice and kind of showing and expressing emotion energy related to speaking. Mm -hmm. So, so there's these different ways to that the dream can resonate with us. The conversation that emerges from thinking about, well, what are the connections you're making? How does this relate to both your indi the individual experience and tapping into the more collective experiences as well? Like, are you thinking about this in terms of water and this water rights? You know, that's one of the projections I come up with. So those conversations, even if they aren't aware of it, those things still affect us in the collective. Yeah. So these conversations are transformative in the sense of not only are they attending to the needs of the individual, at the same time, we're processing things on that larger collective level that may not necessarily be conscious to the individual, but is still absolutely affecting them. Right. Because water is life. Absolutely. Yeah. And how... Mm -hmm. How are we relating to water? How are we respecting the planet? How are we attending to how we behave in the world in relation to, to water? So, so these become larger personal, it's personal, but also it attends to indigenous wisdom. It connects to, you know, land ethics, you know, and pl planetary ethics and really understanding that it's about us, but it's also far beyond us as well. Yeah. It just makes me feel like feel even more that sense of how when someone shares a dream, they are sharing a gift. If we're all dreaming together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's just a piece here that I, because I know we talked for just a few minutes some weeks ago about um, dreams and how it relates to kind of the social and political world. And that's also essential to think yeah. about. Like if we have dreams that are, that feel ominous, for example, someone told me recently that they were having dreams about checkpoints and, uh -huh. and this is a person who, identifies as a minority and they were worried about these possible futures. And yeah, absolutely. You know, these are what we experience in the dream world can be a possible future. So and we might not necessarily have full control over how the events are unfolding in the social and political realm, but at the same time, the dreams, even nightmares or things that feel ominous are coming to us as a gift and whether or not that energy does come into full manifestation as in literal checkpoints, how, you know, I feel that kind of dream because I've experienced a similar dream in the past. It helps, those warnings help me be better prepared for the future that may come. And I feel like that's something to really think about, especially during this particular election season, our social and political climate 
I think it's really important to pay attention to what we're dreaming now about now and yeah. how we how we can understand the wisdom that's coming to us in those dreams as well and how it helps us to prepare psychically, emotionally, psycho-spiritually to whatever events are unfolding in the near future. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. Oh, it does. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that's, I've been hearing those kinds of dreams too and having some of them, um, you know, the people dreaming of everyone being gathered up and put into the basement of a building or a dream that quickly we need to delete every app on our phones because every everything is being watched. That may be literally true already, but right. you know, um, just images like that. And they're, they're, I think they have the same energy as the checkpoint dream that mm -hmm. at least how I'm, how I'm hearing it, you know, mm -hmm. and this, these things are not necessarily premonitions, but they are real possible futures. And mm -hmm. my hope is that the more that we're awake to those possible futures and awake to those realities from our history, the less we can be carried into it blind. And so our dreams can be, can be waking us up and maybe we can act differently, like maybe be prepared, like you're saying, and maybe also shift the way that, that things are moving. Absolutely. And that's what I mean by being prepared. And I'm glad you pushed it further in the, in the realm of acting differently because we don't have to repeat the same thing over and over. And I know there's the saying that history doesn't repeat, it actually rhymes. So waking up to that these are possible f for futures and learning how to act differently and not repeat the same errors of the path, I think is also a lot of the, the teachings that I get from dreams as well. So if we don't pay attention to our dreams and figures keep showing up, for example, and we just don't heed the wisdom of our dreams, we're always doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over as well. So that's part of the lesson that I get, that if I don't pay attention to the teachers that come to me in my dreams or what is being shown to me as a possible future, and I don't act upon the wisdom of my dreams, then I'm in many ways doomed to make the same mistakes over and over. Mm. And I think that goes for both, not just the individual, but the collective as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never heard that, that history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes, but that strikes a really deep chord. And yeah, I, lo I love how you're describing heeding that, heeding those messages from our dreams mm -hmm. so that we don't, we don't fall into those same grooves. Exactly. I think it's incumbent upon all of us to do what we can and tap into our creative energy that comes in the form of dreams so that we can actively participate in creating a better vision of the future, not just for us, but for future generations and for the planet at whole. Yes. Yes and yes. Is there anything else you would like to add for listeners before we wrap up? Anything else you want to share about 
your own work with dreams or ideas for people who are looking to deepen their dream work? I would say if you're not keeping a dream journal, go for it. You can, there's always a point where you can start. And sometimes I don't, I don't necessarily have a dream drought where a large spell, but I do have days where, oh, I don't necessarily remember my dreams, but I remember a snippet or I wake up with a particular feeling. And those feelings or just hunches are also essential. They're, I feel like they're remnants of the dream world. So pay attention to those as well. Well, thank you so much for talking about all of this with me. uh, Before we go, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing, is there a good way for them to find you online? Absolutely. My website is innertapestries.com. Perfect. I will share a link to that as well. Thank you again. I really appreciate your time and, and all your insights from your experiences. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Nicole Torres. What did you think? What are you wondering? I'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment on this post at thedreamersden.org or come share in the Dreamers Den free Facebook group. Until next time, wishing you deep dreams.